relationship between a VC and a startup is, is sort of like a marriage. You know, it's uh, the average time is, is 10 years. Sometimes it can go 10, 15, 20 years. You know, that's more than the average marriage in the US, which is, I think, seven or eight years. Okay. That's not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not okay. you know, so actually you're better off, you know, between a VC startup relationship than, than actually getting married. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, jokes aside, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a serious commitment. The thing is about Egypt specifically and about the type of things that we're doing is that, you know, we're long-term people trying to solve yeah. long-term problems, right? In fintech, in Egypt, and in the space that we play in, it's not a demand problem. It's a supply problem. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Enterprise Podcast. This show is produced by Enterprise, your daily source of news and perspectives on business, finance, and regulation in Egypt. Each episode, we talk with people who are building household brands across Egypt and the region. Our goal is simple, to help you get your head around what's next, around the trends, ideas, and solutions that will help you build a successful business. Check out last week's episode, where we spoke with two of Egypt's most interesting fintech companies and two of the venture capitalists who have invested in them, with a discussion on what areas in the Egyptian economy would be ripe for fintech disruption. In a rare treat, we were joined by Dr. Rasha Negm, Assistant Sub-Governor of the Central Bank of Egypt for Fintech and Innovation, who revealed an all-encompassing and expanded fintech law to help get innovations off the ground. In today's episode, we continue our discussion with last week's founders and investors, where we dive into the investment and growth coming fintech's way. We discuss the potential for consolidation, as well as the expectations for ticket sizes and raising capital in the coming year. We also discussed challenges the sector still faces, such as finding talent. But before we dive in, a quick refresher on our guests. Karim Noor is the co-founder of Kashet, the first nano-finance company in the Middle East and North Africa. Kashet provides financial services to the unbanked and underbanked, starting with lending. We've also got Omar Saleh, the CEO and co-founder of Khazna, Omar joined us the same day he announced his company had raised a blockbuster $38 million Series A round. Khazna offers underserved Egyptians general purpose credit, buy now, pay later finance, and bill payment services. On the VC side of the table is Halil Shalaeni, a corporate lawyer and longtime angel investor turned venture capitalist. Ali is the CEO of Cairo Angel Syndicate Fund. He is also a senior partner at Shalaeni the 110-year-old Cairo law firm. Ali is an investor in Karim startup Tashet. Ashley Lewis is no stranger to Cairo, but she's based in Lagos, where she's a partner focused on Africa with Axion Venture Lab. We caught her in the States, where Axion is based, as she was preparing to fly back our way. Ashley has been investing in financial services and social ventures across sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia for more than a decade. She was also one of Omar's first investors at Khazna, your host today is Patrick, Enterprise's Editor-in-Chief. And without further ado, let's jump right in. Talent and the war, therefore, kind of feel sometimes that uh, you folks who are out fundraising spend uh, you know, more money acquiring talent in this country uh, than you do maybe even market share. Um, what's the war for talent right now in fintech? So it's uh, number one uh, priority. There's no doubt. You know, that's why 
So for us, it's uh, you know we've been very happy about the team that we've built today towards tw over 200 professionals. You know, half of which are like you know like highly sought after. You know, like technology, uh, you know, engineers and product guys, etc. Uh, we've seen people return to Egypt to work uh, over here, or like with our peers, people deciding not to leave and to stay. You know, I think the environment that the regulator is creating and how this is leading to companies being able to grow and raise funds, etc is making it much more conducive and much more, um, you know, sensible for Egyptians abroad to return or for Egyptians here to decide to take a job here as opposed to traveling abroad. Like if you think about Egypt, you know, I think the governor of the central bank said it at the IPN event, you know, our main asset is people. As, just like an entire country, our main asset is people. It will remain, this is the case, we don't have, you know, oil, we don't have whatever, like we have people. Uh, we have like some of the best um, schools, universities, engineering schools, and just we, we just have to, you know, like leverage that opportunity and not not just to be honest, develop technology for Egypt, but also export that, right? Like we are at the position where we are at the forefront of what we're doing in the region, a wider Middle East and Africa, and we have a tremendous opportunity to to do what we're doing in Egypt and beyond. What's the competition for talent doing to your cost base right now? Very high. You know, like for us, it's a package. You know, if, if you're just like competing on pay, you're never going to be able to win, right? Like now, like a post-COVID world where Facebook and Google are hiring engineers here in Dhab and yeah. Guna, how can you really compete with that? You can't, right? Like, so for us, it's, it's really making a sense of the impact that we created as a company on people's lives on the complexity of the problems that our teams are solving and adding new products and features on a daily basis, on the new technologies that we do. So this is really, the, if we're able to tell the story in a, in a nice and, and very solid way to our, you know, employees, you know, this is what we care about most. You know, investors will come, you know, anyways, you know, like it's not really, mm -hmm. not really an issue. You know, what I'm mostly concerned about and really focused on is telling our story to our next 200 and 300 employees. So this is my number one priority. All right, let's turn for a moment then and talk about the challenges of 2022. Um, I think we all entered the year, you know, to the extent that Egypt hadn't canceled COVID before New Year's. We certainly canceled it by New Year's Day. Um, we were moving beyond COVID and life was going to be wonderful. Vaccines were everywhere the remarkable difference that a year makes you know a year ago enterprise was writing stories about when would we if ever have access to vaccines and now you know if you're not double vaccinated in egypt it's because you you don't want to be um it's incredibly easy to become vaccinated we were optimistic about the shape of the year we had really outsized expectations of fundraising uh of business growth um maybe a little bit of trepidation uh and i'm not putting dr russia on the spot here but maybe we were a little bit worried about what the fed might do uh this year and how many rate hikes and what that might do to us but by and large i think we were all really optimistic about the pace of uh, business for this year and then Along comes uh, war in Ukraine and hyperinflation and oil prices, you know, in the 120 to 130 range. Um, I'd like to ask Ashley, first off, what does this mean for fundraising for, for venture? Have you seen a slowdown? Have you seen any noticeable change? And sort of secondarily, what does that mean to you in terms of your plan to deploy capital uh, this year? 
Yeah, absolutely. And when I think about um, funding, it's a very clear waterfall. So thinking about it from the top, you have LPs that are excited about the Africa region that are supporting funds locally and internationally. So those funds that were probably in market in 2020 um, are wrapping up either first closes or second closes and have a lot of dry powder to put to, to use. Matching that with global names from markets that have a really fantastic depth of capital coming in. Mm -hmm. I think both of those make a scenario where, you know, we can get the capital into the region that we've been kind of dying for a very long time. Now, I do think that the valuations that we've been seeing over the last maybe nine to 12 months, um, the 2021 kind of rapid ascent, I don't know if that's going to continue at the same clip in this year, okay. just given some of the macro challenges that you've just described. However, I do think the high quality teams are still going to get that access to funding. And so I see still international players um, having a seat at the table. I'm excited to see more local players competing as well and being able to put down more capital, being able to support companies through the funding cycle. So from you know, mm -hmm. pre-seed all the way to series B. Um, but let's see what this means, you know, on the valuation front. Look, I'm an investor. I wouldn't mind for these valuations to come down just a tad bit. <laughs> just a um, tad bit, huh? You know, yeah. Everybody likes um, the bargain. Yeah. But you know what I think is really interesting is there used to be this bifurcation in the market where, you know, you were a seed investor and you kind of stayed on the seed side or you were a growth stage investor and you started staying there uh, or you, yeah. and you stayed in that lane. And now there's just this blend between the two. You are seeing growth stage investors that want to compete that are kind of tired of these really high valuations at the Series B stage, starting to put, you know, pre preempt Series A rounds. And what mm -hmm. used to be kind of very clear lanes for investors and even clear lanes for entrepreneurs to say, I'm raising a seed round, I'm raising a Series A, all of that is getting blurred. I mean, you know, I just saw a $30 million um, seed round recently. It, you know, it just kind of blows wow. your mind. That's <laughs> yeah, nuts. So, yeah, so you're asking yourself, you know, which, which lane am I swimming in at this point um, as an investor and also as an entrepreneur? Uh, and so overall, though, I think that at least for the Egyptian uh, landscape, FinTech and beyond, I think that there will be capital. There will be great fundraisers. We've seen some today. Um, and I think that the trajectory for these businesses is, is quite positive. I don't see there being like a global freeze. I don't know what else could happen. We've already seen a pandemic. We have a, you know, a, a war, you know, like what else could happen? I don't want to speculate, but yeah, exactly. Um, what about you, Ali? What's your take on the fundraising climate for the year and expectations of how fast you guys will continue to uh, deploy capital? Yeah, I think uh, I definitely agree with what Ashley said. Um, so um, from our perspective, uh, we're quite lucky because we did first close at the end of last year uh, when things were extremely hot. And then we were already in discussions with the, the right sort of investors uh, just looking a bit further ahead, knowing that the market was quite frothy. Uh, so we really looked for kind of the right investors, not only for the final close, but even for uh, the next funds, because that's how you you kind of, you think, you know, like, uh, it's a bit like startups, actually. Startups always are thinking about the next round and the next round, you know, so so VC is, VC is the same, right? You're, you're kind of thinking about this fund and then the, the next, next round, the next round. Um, yeah. So... So I guess we were quite lucky because um, I think people trying to that were just maybe a quarter or four months behind us, they're, they're finding it a bit more challenging. Uh, but I would say that um, uh, Africa hasn't gotten its fair share. 
uh, in the last um, 10, 20, 30 years, I mean, forever, basically. And uh, I think now there's a real focus that this is the new frontier. Uh, so there is a bit more resilience because already we were super underfunded. So uh, today, it's not a surprise that there's a huge amount of excitement about Egypt, Nigeria, uh, you know, Kenya, South Africa. So I guess with that in mind, uh, we were a bit scared when we did our first fund uh, that maybe the origination was going to be challenging. You know, is there really enough talent for the space we're looking at? Can we compete, you know, with like these endless checks? You know, people throwing money, you know, uh, like uh, they just want to burn it or something like that. <laughs> so so actually what we found, to be very honest, is that um, there was a lot of dumb money in the market in the last couple of years. As people who have seen enough corrections and crises, you kind of build resilience in the sense that you can uh, you can just see through the forest a little bit. You know, not every day is going to be gravy. There's going to be bad days. And I think the uh, the patient capital is not looking at like a one, two year mm -hmm. horizon. You're looking at a 10, 15, 20 year horizon, right? I mean, the uh, the really, like the firms that have been there since like the sort of the 70s in, in Silicon Valley, if you just pick up one of their books, you know, they tell you that actually the relationship between a VC and a startup is is sort of like a marriage. You know, it's uh, the average time is is 10 years Sometimes it can go 10, 15, 20 years. You know, that's more than the average marriage in the U.S., which is, I think, seven or eight years. OK, that's not I'm not, I'm not, I'm not okay. you know, so actually you're better off, you know, between a VC startup relationship than, than actually getting married. <laughs> so uh, so, you know, jokes aside, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a serious commitment, you know, and I think one of the things that um, we have built uh, as an organization and I personally have really kind of that's my brand which is uh, I'm the guy you call in the bad days, right? Okay, so, you know, and I think for, for founders, it's a really, 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 really tough job. It's a very high-pressure environment. And you know what? You're always expected to look your best, you know, and to smile, and everything's amazing. Everything's not always amazing, okay? Amen, <laughs> amen. So, you know, like, uh, my job is uh, I'm the vault, you know, safe space. You can talk to me anytime, any day. And I'm there for you and nobody will ever hear about it, you know. So if it's just something that passes, it passed, okay. And I was there and I was able to, you know, have that person's back, right. Um, so I guess the way that I, you know, that's how you differentiate yourself. And I think we've always never, we were never going to be the biggest check in the room. So I think uh, as a VC, you need to differentiate yourself. You can do that in many different ways. Our thing was always, we're here, we're here to stay. We're always going to be there for you. You know, uh, we're always going to talk you up. We're always going to promote and try to make things better for you. Um, and it's a 10-year play, you know, 10, 15-year play. It's not a one, two-year play where, you know, if if, if we, we're not happy today, then I, you know, I don't, I start answering phone calls, in a, you know, in, in, a, in a couple of months, right? That's unacceptable, right? So, so that's kind of, I guess that's kind of our take. You know, it's a bit of a, there's some soft elements in there, but I think that this is a people's business. Uh, and we really look at it that way. And that's that's how we approach uh, doing business in this sector. Ashley, how do you feel about a 10, 15, 20 year marriage with Omar here? I was going to say, Omar, I hope you're happy with me because we're kind of stuck together. <laughs> but so far, it's been really good. We passed the first year. This is where I'm at. Afterwards, it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> so the honeymoon phase is over and, and you guys are still going strong. Exactly. Look, 
the entrepreneurs of today are going to become the angel investors of tomorrow and the serial entrepreneurs. And so we are constantly interacting. We end up co-investing in some ways or um, building the next thing together. And so it's also being very forgiving and flexible. The first thing might not work out. The next thing might be a huge hit. Um, and realizing that this is a human experience, a human journey. It's not the people. And we're all kind of on our own path to um, self-actualization. That's awesome. Kareem, Omar, how'd you guys feel on the other side of that equation? What's fundraising like these days? Hey, Omar, you want to go first? Yeah, I know we're lucky, <laughs> to be honest. And we were very lucky to have been able to get Ashley, first of all, and then uh, a few other, I mean, we're all highly professional, you know, like some of the top uh, global investors have been very supportive of ours, you know, so we can't complain. We've been very lucky about this. And I think, again, you know, like what the regulator has been doing, uh, in order to, you know, provide assurance and, uh, you know, basically uh, that uh, to investors, it's just like uh, unmatched, to be honest with you, you know, we look at other markets, you know, it's just like unmatched. So we're very lucky to have started when we did, uh, got this initial momentum, very happy to be where we are, you know, our primary focus is to is on execution, you know, continue growing the team and execution and uh, and then, you know, like, yeah, I think, I think Egypt is, uh, we're in a very good position right now to attract uh, more and more capital. And, you know, our view is Egyptian, you know, fintechs will, will probably, like tech companies, will probably attract north of a billion dollars this year. And this could be a multiple of that over the next few years. A billion, huh? Yeah, yeah, at least a billion for sure this year, inshallah. Ashley, Ali, sense check on that. How do you feel about it? Is a billion possible for Egypt? I think for VC, yes. Uh, so I think last year was 491 mm -hmm. million, if I'm not mistaken. We can get to the billion. It's a psychological barrier, uh, but we we can definitely get there. I think there's a few headwinds that we we kind of already discussed, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty bullish. Ashley, what about you? Yeah, I don't see why not. I think, especially across the markets that I'm managing, I think that we will get there faster here. Um, and look, if we fall short of that, it's fine. I think we're just moving in the right direction. Just about having the right amount, you know? the right players at the table. Absolutely. Kareem, how are things in fundraising land, man? Um, we've also been very blessed so far. The thing is about Egypt specifically and about the type of things that we're doing is that, you know, we're long-term people trying to solve yeah. long-term problems, right? In fintech, in Egypt, and in the space that we play in, it's not a demand problem. It's a supply problem. So I think that there is a recognition, you know, for the people that, that are solving, you know, for these underserved places that, you know, that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there. So we see that even amidst, you know, when, when these global shocks um, happen. Um, I think that, you know, what really, really shines through is character. At, at this point in time, you get to see, and you get to see the differences between VCs and how they, and how they approach the notion of support. Um, I want to say that, you know, everything that Ali said, I've, I've lived. And it's really, really important that you are there during the bad times. And we've been blessed to have uh, backers like Ali in the equation that believe in just that. So we want those people that are going to think long-term. And also, uh, something must be said about decisiveness. Indecisiveness, like for example, you know, we are very much and unashamedly a DTC, right? And that's just our character. You know, we, we're trying to capitalize on this entire market size. That might spook some people. Maybe a different route would have been safer. But that's why we tried to do what was hard first and then come with that track record and go from lending into payments. 
So, you know, you get to see people's uh, risk appetite up close and personal and any external shock only highlights that. But, you know, there are those out there that see the long-term value in what you're doing and there are funds available for people that are playing these long-term games. I want to ask you guys what your feeling is on consolidation. Uh, we started to see towards the end of last year startups buying startups for the first time. Um, and if there's one sector that hasn't seen this yet, but that sort of seems a little bit rife for it, my suspicion is that it's somewhere around the payments and BNPL space. Um, that's just sort of, you know, as an outsider looking in. Um, do you folks see consolidation on the menu this year and not consolidation in the sense that, you know, I wipe you off the map, uh, people drop out because there's one clear sort of giant player. I think that probably holds maybe more true in the infrastructure side uh, than it does in, you know, sort of the uh, pure fintech side of the equation. So um, what do you folks think on that? Uh, and maybe uh, Ashley will ask you to go first if you don't mind. I definitely think that this is going to happen. Um, I just worked with one of my companies on an acquisition. Um, and, I'm, you know, it's, it's mind-boggling for me to see a seed company acquire another company. It just, like, <laughs> we never really saw a that A seed before. company. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, so it happens. And I think, you know, let's be very honest here. I think there's a lot of storytelling as well involved in this. You know, some founders mm. might not have gotten to the level of scale that they were hoping for, looking to spin this into a really good opportunity for themselves in the future if we think about that long experience in the space. Um, and so I think there's a lot of great opportunities to acquire existing businesses. I also think that there might be consolidation in the the marketplace models, whether that's FMCG distribution or otherwise. It's an extremely competitive space and people are looking to get into new markets as rapidly as possible. You have kind of centers of power across the Africa region and um, I think people are just trying to uh, bolster their war chest as much as possible. And so I think more consolidation is on the horizon. I also think, and this might be a little controversial, but I think there could be at some point some consolidation on the fun side as well. Really? I yeah, I That'd think there, cool. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe not today, maybe in four or five years, but I think there's, you know, pockets of funding around. I think pe players are going to want to see um, scale and platforms, investing platforms being able to bring more resources to the table. And so I'm going to be interested to watch that space also. Actually, I hadn't thought about that at all. That's a really interesting take. Ali, what about you? Consolidation? No consolidation? 100% consolidation. We've actually, one of our portfolio companies, Filchedma, we helped them actually to consolidate with a South African player. And, um, you know, we're very, very bullish. So our actually our investment thesis is uh, connecting uh, Africa to Egypt and Egypt to Africa. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's um, an opportunity that has not been used nearly enough by Egyptian firms. And conversely, there's some amazing firms, you know, from Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, and other markets that would love to enter Egypt. And as one of the continents that has the least amount of intra-trade and intra-investment, for many, many reasons. Uh, Who built the railways and exactly. <laughs> what direction do they move in? <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? So yeah. so we're still suffering from that. And you look at the main trade partners of a lot of those markets, they're not on the continent. So that's, I think, the future, which is extremely exciting. And I think our job is to enable more of that. Uh, so we are uh, actively already working with a lot of our uh, portfolio companies to introduce them to other markets. 
In fact, uh, Ashley, Karim, and I were recently kind of half-joking, but not really, you know, kind of planning a trip for a lot of the people from Egypt to go to Nigeria, to go to Lagos. And, no way. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, uh, and then we would want to do the reverse uh, fixture. Uh, That'd be really cool. Yeah. And uh, I would love to do that actually uh, a lot more. So uh, this is not a new idea. In fact, kind of dial back. Uh, Dave McClure from 500 Startups back then, um, yeah. he started this thing called Geeks on a Plane. And basically, he just yeah. he, he got a plane and he basically got people to go, you know, kind of a, across the main stops. And it was an amazing enlightening like, experience, right? Um, so I think we need to have a lot more of that um, interconnectivity. And as a result of that, we're going to see consolidation. So just so you know, uh, obviously, I need to choose my words carefully, but we are assisting or supporting at least three startups in uh, consolidation uh, kind of place, right? Uh, and those are yeah. different stages that are very exciting. And we just see that trend continuing uh, for, for, for the years to come. And you are going to remember your very good friends at Enterprise when you have exclusive news to break on those transactions, sir. Always, always, Patrick, always. Have you have you I'm going to ask you guys the same question I asked Rasha. What's the timeline? Uh, when are you going to hop on airplanes and have an exchange of, uh, uh, of visits? I think it would be kind of cool uh, after having a bunch of Nigerians here and a bunch of Egyptians there to have like a mixed group of people on the show to, you know, sort of chew over, um, you know, what did you learn? What's the coolest thing uh, that, that, you know, came across your radar? So uh, what's the timeline on this one? You guys want to hit, uh, hit the ground? I think we were talking May. Um, we were talking May. Yeah. So um, we're, we're putting the WhatsApp group together now. <laughs> so yeah, keep your phones open. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we, we want, uh, everybody to get the most out of this. So, um, so, you know, uh, watch this space. That's really cool. My penultimate question, um, has to do with a competition for opportunities, uh, opportunities being a word that the spam filters don't let us use in enterprise. Um, we see a larger number uh, than ever of sort of captive VC funds, corporate VC funds, uh, PE players deciding that they want to be venture capitalists. Um, we have a conference uh, that we're putting together called What's Next uh, that looks at, you know, literally the companies, the ideas and the problems that are going to you know, be next on our agenda uh, and shape uh, our world. And we got a call from a guy who has a carve out from a really massive debt fund um, to invest in venture opportunities. Um, and th this is a guy who does, you know, really large scale tickets in corporate and public debt. And he has a carve out for VC. Uh, so Omar Karim, why would you guys want to talk to Ashley uh, and Ali? And in what universe would you see yourself talking with uh, or not talking with uh, a corporate VC fund or, you know, a debt investor who's got a, uh, a venture capital carve out? I'd talk to Ashley or Ali on any day of the week. But I mean, like, <laughs> whether it's about innovation and stuff. But yeah, I mean, for us as clean lender and as soon to be a payments uh, company, there is, you know, there's obviously the funding journey that's happening right now, but there's also other stuff involved, right? Because, you know, we're in the business of lending money and there's room for venture debt there. There's room for, for all sorts of ways, you know, to get the money out there. So those things, and all we can do is tell the story that we have and the opportunity that we're facing. 
And uh, when you consider the scale of, of the amount of people that, that have this need, it's quite phenomenal. So yeah, it's obviously more than just equity. It's more than investing, but there's a huge role for debt in, in our equation, at least. And Omar, what about you? Would you ever speak with somebody on the corporate side? I think it's, uh, you know, part of our role as, you know, I guess entrepreneurs is to uh, really understand what the investor is bringing in uh, compared to what the company needs. Um, so I think there are many companies out there and there's a lot of money out there as well. So I think what's really important is for you to know really what it takes to take you from one stage to another, uh, which is varies significantly across the stages of the company's uh, lifetime. Um, uh, and, and how the particular investors will help you, they help you to, you know, get to the next phase and successfully. And um, so we've had, uh, so action, for example, Axion is an example. And um, so we were very lucky to have Ashley there since day one. Um, Ashley and her team helped us uh, both virtually and also physically in Cairo. And, you know, like having a very deep look at what we're doing, you know, analyzing a lot of what we're doing and improving on top of it. And, you know, that was really helpful. And that was, you know, I guess one of the big values that an, an investor like Axiom brings to the table is the is this global experience of investing in over, I don't know, like 30 or 40 countries around the world and having seen it all. So really being able to contribute and provide you with a lot of lessons learned early on. Uh, another example is our recent, uh, the recent investment we received from Include, which is the fund that was established by the three state-owned banks. There's a lot of dealings and works that we do with those banks. I think it facilitates a lot if they feel the ownership and they feel the upside in what we're doing. So it's a very smart idea by everyone who designed it, everyone who's behind it. So this is really what we consider smart money for the current phase. It really differs from one stage on the other. So it's really our upon the, uh, the company and the entrepreneur to think about what the value that comes with the money. So after all, there's, there's ample of money again out there and how you manage that. Fantastic. All right, question for everybody. What have I not asked you about that you wanted to be asked about? Will Smith. <laughs> I mean, like, we have to say something. Right? I don't know, man. I, I, look, I'm uncomfortable with anybody making fun of anybody's wife, but I'm, I'm, I'm team Chris Brock on that one. I really am. Yeah, it wasn't a smart slap. No, no, not at all. Not, this isn't something that I wanted to be asked, but I'd love to hear from your perspective, like from the media center, kind of like how do you see things in the fintech space and um, how do you see your unique role in this and making sure that Egyptian fintech ventures are really promoted and onto the world stage? <laughs> That's kind of you to ask. Um, three and a half, four years ago, you know, we had fintech coverage every couple of weeks. Um, we had startup coverage maybe once a week, and uh, you know now it's a daily it's a daily thing uh, for us uh, startups in general. But fintech is, I would say, probably forty forty five percent of our startup coverage. Um, you know, we joke oftentimes that you know um, there are two types of investment bankers these days, and two types of corporate bankers these days: the ones who want to start uh, fintech companies and the ones who want to start restaurants. Um, you know, uh, and uh, our friends in investment banking are crying that, you know, everybody, nobody wants to be an iBanker anymore, right? Like everybody wants to be on the hustle, you know, building their own business. And, uh, 
you know, we started as a two-person startup uh, 15 years ago, almost, and today we're 120 people. Uh, we have uh, morning edition, afternoon edition, podcast, uh, industry verticals. We're expanding with two new uh, regional industry verticals. And, you know, it's been a phenomenal ride. So to see people like Omar and Karim take risks uh, and to see folks like you backing them, uh, you and Ali backing them, it's it's wonderful and it's breathtaking and it's amazing. Um I still remember washing up in Egypt 22 years ago and being told, uh, you know, we're not an entrepreneurial culture and there, there's not even a word in Arabic for entrepreneur. Uh, it's like, man, people didn't know. Um, we have to bleep that out. Uh, but, you know, just looking at what's going on today and the amount of energy, um, you know, and we kind of quail and get a little bit queasy at words like, you know, ecosystem and platform and you know the, the buzzwords that are thrown around but fundamentally the thing that's reversing the brain drain is bright people coming here coming back home to build amazing businesses so it's uh, it's been incredible fun for us to chronicle and incredible fun for us to write about and we're sort of blessed not just uh, to be able to talk with people like you, but to to have a, you know, alhamdulillah, large and growing audience of people who, who want to read those stories. Subscribe to the Enterprise Podcast and stay tuned for more exciting interviews exploring what's next for business. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Remy, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out our podcast making it our interview show on how people like Hinde Shirbini from IDH and Chris Khalifa from Zuba have built great businesses right here in Egypt. And don't forget to become an enterprise reader by subscribing at enterprise.press. That's enterprise.press.